Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Okay, so today we're going to be doing a classic folk tale. You may know it as Stone Soup, or here in Australia we've got Wombat Stew. But today we're going to be doing Nanny Piggins' version, which is, of course, different, and hers is Stone Cake. So here we go. Here's Nanny Piggins' version of that classic, Stone Cake. Normally, Nanny Piggins was shocked and appalled at the state the children were in when they returned home from school. They were often tired, always hungry, and they had absolutely no chocolate stains on their clothes. Nanny Piggins considered this a terrible state for a child to be in at four o'clock in the afternoon. But on this day, as Derek, Samantha and Michael got off the school bus, they did not look that way at all. There was a spark in their eyes, a smile on their faces, and definitely brown smudges on their fronts. What happened? asked Nanny Piggins. Did you take the day off school and break into a chocolate factory? And if so, why didn't you invite me? No, we went to school, said Derek, but there was a new student teacher. She offered an extra lesson in the library at lunchtime. You had to do an extra lesson at lunch, exclaimed Nanny Piggins, when you could be outside eating and running around releasing all your pent-up emotion after a horrific morning enduring education. Yes, said Samantha, but it was a lesson on how to bake a cake. Nanny Piggins gasped. Finally, your school has taught you something worth knowing. It was awesome, said Michael. But you already know how to bake a cake, Nanny Piggins pointed out. In the time Nanny Piggins had been living with them, the children had indeed learned so much about cake baking, souffle baking, tart baking, gâteau baking, Danish baking, pie baking, and even baking ice cream in the form of Bomb Alaska that they knew more about making dessert than most highly trained pastry chefs in the world. But this was a different type of cake, said Samantha. She taught us how to bake a cake in two minutes, said Derek. Two minutes, said Nanny Piggins. How? By using C4 explosives? If so, that's just not fair. The headmaster never lets me bring C4 explosives to school. No, said Derek. It was a mug cake, and she cooked it in the microwave. A mug cake, said Nanny Piggins. What is that? It's a cake that you make in a mug, said Michael. So it's an individual size for just one person. This concept baffled Nanny Piggins. I don't understand at all. All cakes are individual servings for just one person, if just one person eats them. When my sister Deirdre ran away from her own wedding because she decided she didn't want to marry a devastatingly handsome heart surgeon, she'd rather elope with a wedding celebrant instead, the original groom was so upset he didn't want the 12-tier wedding cake anymore. So out of the kindness of my heart, and to tidy things up for him, I ate the whole thing myself. It was quite filling, and it did take me nearly an hour to eat the whole thing, but I did it. So that was a single serving. 
Okay, well, she didn't make 12-tier wedding cakes, conceded Michael, but it was definitely cake in a mug and it only took two minutes to cook in the microwave. Has the headmaster suffered a head injury, asked Nanny Piggins. This is wonderful news, but it sounds unlike him to suddenly be including actual educational things in the curriculum. Has he suddenly realised the importance of fostering high-standard baking skills in the community? Because goodness knows, if there was more cake in the world, there would be more happiness and less hunger, which would lead to a reduction in crime and ultimately end all wars. Really, our politicians should be ashamed of themselves that they haven't made cake baking the sole focus of the education system earlier. Oh, no, they didn't teach us how to make a cake so we'd know how to make cake, admitted Derek. They did it to teach us maths. I knew they'd ruin it somehow, said Nanny Piggins. Measuring the ingredients was meant to be the educational bit, said Derek. Measuring? Pah, said Nanny Piggins. Measuring is for amateurs. Did they at least talk about the chemistry of it? The elements combining the thermodynamic effect on protein molecules. Well, she was only a first-year teaching student, said Samantha. I don't think she knew about that. But it tasted like cake, said Michael, so that was the main thing. It wasn't as good as one of your cakes, Nanny Piggins, but it was good enough to make you forget about the maths part. Nanny Piggins hugged Michael. You're such a good boy. I'm so proud to have raised a human with such good values. But you shall have to teach me how to make this cake. I'm intrigued by the two-minute aspect of it. That seems like a very good point in this cake's favour. We might even be able to reduce the cooking time to 30 seconds if we put some C4 explosives in the microwave as well. Fortunately, on the rest of the walk home, the children were able to persuade Nanny Piggins not to put C4 explosives in the microwave. When they got inside, they taught Nanny Piggins the recipe they'd learned at school. Nanny Piggins was deeply impressed. They used one egg, some flour, some sugar, cocoa powder and canola oil, mixed it all up and put it in the microwave. Nanny Piggins actually squealed with joy when the cake started to rise up in front of her eyes in just a matter of seconds. And when she shoved that cake in her mouth, Nanny Piggins agreed. It definitely was cake and it definitely was chocolate cake. So what do you think, Nanny Piggins, asked Samantha. I like that the mug has a handle, said Nanny Piggins, as she licked the inside of the mug. It makes it easier to rip out of the microwave and shove in your mouth quicker. But what do you think of the taste, asked Michael. It's chocolate cake, said Nanny Piggins. Chocolate cake always gets five out of five stars from me, unless you're Nanny Ann and you put beetroot puree in it. So you liked it then, said Samantha. I did have one reservation, said Nanny Piggins. What was that, asked Derek. I want to be 100% sure before I say, said Nanny Piggins, so we'd better make another one so I can double check my conclusion. So they mixed up another batch of mud cake batter for Nanny Piggins and another three for themselves. Then they called in Boris from his shed in the backyard and mixed up another one for him too. Nanny Piggins had almost confirmed her opinion after this cake, but to be sure, then they collectively baked another 25 cakes so they could each have another five just to be on the safe side. And after eating seven chocolate mug cakes, Nanny Piggins felt confident in stating her definite opinion. I have decided the chocolate mug cake is... Brilliant, declared Nanny Piggins. The children and Boris cheered. Yay! Except for one crucial flaw, said Nanny Piggins. Oh, groaned the children and Boris. The problem with mug cake is that it's mug-sized, said Nanny Piggins. I am a growing pig. I do not have a mug-sized appetite. If only there was some way we could make the mug bigger, said Boris. 
Hmm, said Nanny Piggins. Sadly, the people who standardised the size of the mug seem to have been thinking of how much coffee a human might like to drink, not how much cake a pig might like to eat. Well, a mug is just a round container, said Boris. We must have something round that's bigger. That's an idea, said Nanny Piggins. But what do we have that is larger and round? I know, one of Mr Green's Ming vases. Oh, I don't think Ming vases are microwave-proof, said Samantha. Well, there's only one way to find out, said Nanny Piggins. She hopped up to go and fetch one, but Derek put his hand on her trotter to get her attention. Nanny Piggins, said Derek, you know you promised our insurance broker you would stop using Ming vases for cooking. That man is such a spoil sport, said Nanny Piggins, sitting back down. What's the point in having a big pot if you don't use it? I know what's round and bigger, said Boris. What about a cake tin? Oh, yes, we've got loads of cake tins that are much bigger than mugs, said Nanny Piggins. Yes, but you can't put a cake tin in the microwave, said Samantha. They're made of metal. That'd be really dangerous. And remember what the insurance broker said about setting fire to the kitchen? Yes, that I mustn't do it again this financial year if I can avoid it, grumbled Nanny Piggins. So tiresome. How am I supposed to make culinary masterpieces when my creativity is so inhibited? Ooh, you could put the cake tin in the proper oven instead, said Boris. Good idea, said Nanny Piggins. So that is what they did. Nanny Piggins made up a much bigger batch of cake batter, put that in a large cake tin and popped it into the oven. Oh, this is going to take a bit longer to bake, said Nanny Piggins. What are we going to do while we wait? Oh, why don't you tell us a story, suggested Derek. All right, said Nanny Piggins. So they all sat down on the kitchen floor in front of the oven to listen to Nanny Piggins' tale while they watched the cake bake. Hey, parents. Yeah, you. Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you. And for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. Have I ever told you the story of my cousin Marguerite? asked Nanny Piggins. I don't think so, said Derek. It was hard to keep track. Nanny Piggins had so many spectacular relatives, and stories about these spectacular relatives. Being asked if you knew the one story was like being suddenly asked to give the date of the moon landing. Even if you thought you knew, you couldn't be entirely sure when you were put on the spot. Well, she invented an ingenious recipe, said Nanny Piggins. For cake, guessed Michael. Of course for cake, said Nanny Piggins. I said it was an ingenious recipe, didn't I? But her cake was particularly brilliant because she made it out of stone. Huh, said Michael. Did she grind it down into a powder and mix it in with flour, asked Derek. No, it was much cleverer than that, said Nanny Piggins. The only ingredient she had was a stone, and yet she managed to make a delicious cake with it. Was it some sort of alchemy, asked Samantha. You know how magicians try to turn lead into gold. Was it something like that? Did she use a magic trick? No, 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 said Nanny Piggins. We Pigginses don't need to resort to tricks. Not when we can use cunning, ingenuity and manipulation of humans. 
If you're going to use big words, said Boris, you'd better just tell the whole story from the beginning. I won't be able to follow what you're saying otherwise. Yes, of course, dear, said Nanny Piggins. I do apologise. I hate it when people use unnecessarily confusing language. But sometimes there are just lovely words that are a joy to say, whether you or the person hearing them understands them or not. Anyway, it all happened many years ago after the war, said Nanny Piggins. Which war? asked Derek. Does it matter? asked Nanny Piggins. Well, it'll help us visualise, said Samantha. Well, all wars are the same, said Nanny Piggins. They're horrible and miserable, and they usually involve mud, unless they're in the desert, in which case there's a lot of sand and sweating. It's all deeply unpleasant in every imaginable way. I highly recommend not imagining or visualising it if you want to sleep properly tonight. Well, what shall we visualise? asked Michael. Just imagine the olden story days, said Nanny Piggins, a village in Europe with a forest and humble dwellings. What's a humble dwelling, asked Boris. Well, it's the type of house you build when you want to keep things small so it's easy to keep it warm in winter, said Nanny Piggins, because in the olden story days, winters are always bitterly cold. Why, asked Michael. For the drama, said Nanny Piggins. When have you ever heard of a fairy tale starting with, it was an unexpectedly mild winter? The children realised stories never did start that way. In stories, you always have to have extremes, explained Nanny Piggins. So this story begins in a small, humble village on a bitterly cold winter's day after a terrible war had raged for years. This story is dreadful, wailed Boris. It's so sad and it's just the beginning. You've been visualising, haven't you? accused Nanny Piggins. I told you not to do that. I'm sorry, Sarah, sobbed Boris. My imagination is just too strong. I know, dear, said Nanny Piggins, hugging him reassuringly. This is why you're such a superb ballet dancer. This lovely compliment cheered Boris up a little bit. Anyway, said Nanny Piggins, it was a grim, cold winter, and my cousin Marguerite had been walking for days. Why, asked Michael, wasn't there a bus? No, said Nanny Piggins. It was the olden story day, so buses had not been invented yet, nor had trains or taxis or even limousines. She was returning from the front line, where she'd been valiantly fighting for her country. Did women fight in wars in the olden story days, asked Samantha. Not normally, said Nanny Piggins. It depends on how olden the olden story is. In the ancient Celtic story days, my cousin, Bodicea Piggins, led a whole army. And in the old French story days, my Aunt Joan led the whole French army against the British. But that was a misunderstanding. She thought she was fighting to liberate their fudge stockpile. She didn't realise she was leading a religious war until it was too late. Fudge wars are always more amicable than religious wars. Anyway, Marguerite was trudging home with her three children, said Nanny Piggins. She was a mother, said Derek. And she went to war with her children, asked Michael. Oh, no, said Nanny Piggins. She was a nanny. And of course, she took the children with her when she went to fight. It would have been irresponsible to leave them behind unattended. The children puzzled over the logic of this. They were pretty sure unattended behind the lines would be safer than attended in a war zone. But they knew from experience that applying logic never improved the dramatic flow of Nanny Piggins' stories. So they stayed silent. They were exhausted after a hard campaign, continued Nanny Piggins. They just wanted to return to their own village, but they still had many days to walk, and they were dreadfully cold and dreadfully hungry when they came upon a village. Let's ask here to see if anyone can spare us some food, said Marguerite Piggins. They knocked on the first door they came to. 
I'm not interested in buying a set of encyclopedias, said the householder. No, that's not why we're here, said Marguerite. We're returning to our village after fighting bravely in the war, but we're dreadfully hungry. Would you be able to spare some food? Well, we have very little food too, said the householder. The army came through here and took all our spare food. We only have the meagre supplies we managed to hide before they could take it. We must save that for ourselves so we can survive the long winter. With which she slammed the door in their faces. Oh, that's very rude, said Michael. Yes, agreed Nanny Piggins, but we mustn't be too judgmental. They only had meagre supplies of firewood as well, and standing there with the door open was letting all the heat out. Marguerite tried every door in the village, but all the villagers were struggling, and they had no extra food to spare, certainly not with grubby vagrants that were just passing through. Oh no, what are we going to do, wailed Mikhail. That was the youngest of the three children in her care. I'm so hungry. I don't think I can continue walking tomorrow if I have nothing to eat today. Never fear, said Marguerite Piggins. I will make you a fine cake for your supper. But you have no cake ingredients, said Doric, the eldest boy. No, agreed Marguerite, but I have my cooking pot and I can build a fire and I will make us a fine cake out of this stone. Marguerite bent over and picked up a stone from the street. It was an ordinary enough stone about the size of a fist. You can't make a cake out of a stone, said Samantira, the girl child. Oh, can't I now, said Marguerite. You just watch. I shall make you the finest cake you've ever eaten with just this pot and this stone. But first we must make a fire. The children helped Marguerite find kindling, and soon they had a good little fire burning. Marguerite put her empty cooking pot onto the embers, and then they placed the stone inside. The children were very confused, and somewhat concerned that their dear nanny had lost her mind. They looked at the pot and at the stone, and it did not appear to be magically transforming into a cake. "'Now what do we do?' asked Dirksen. "'We watch and we wait,' said Marguerite. The children and their nanny peered into the cooking pot and watched the stone some more. It's always nice watching a warm fire, so they peered at it comfortably for some time before a voice interrupted them. What on earth are you doing? It was one of the villagers. She'd seen them sitting around the fire, staring at their pot, and wondered what they were up to. Oh, we're just making a cake, said Marguerite. Really, said the villager. She hadn't had a slice of cake in years, not since before the war. But when she peered into the pot, all she could see was a stone. What sort of cake? asked the villager. Stone cake, said Marguerite. Is that anything like rock cake? asked the villager. Oh no, said Marguerite. Stone cake is much more delicious. It's a beautiful, light and fluffy sponge. It's wonderful to eat. I can't wait to have a bite. The only problem is, I'm not sure how it'll turn out. A truly delicious stone cake must have a pinch of lemon zest for that last finishing touch of flavour. We didn't have any lemon zest, though. Oh, well, I've got a lemon, said the villager. I can spare the zest if you like. Thank you, that would be wonderful, said Marguerite. The villager hurried back to her cottage and returned moments later with a lemon and a grater. She handed it to Marguerite, who zested the lemon, sprinkling the flavour all over the stone. And that'll make a delicious cake, asked the villager. Oh, yes, said Marguerite, the finest you've ever tasted. What are you doing? Another villager, a herdsman, was returning from working in the fields. He was surprised to see a pig, three children and his neighbour sitting around a fire watching a stone cook. We're making a stone cake, said the first villager. Stone cake, said the herdsman. Is that good? I've never heard of it. 
Oh, yes, said Marguerite. It's the finest cake you can imagine. The only trouble is we don't have any butter. A truly good stone cake is always better with a little bit of butter. Oh, I've got some butter I can spare, said the herdsman, with which he returned to his cottage and brought back a little dab of butter. They put it on the stone and watched that cook too. Now there were six of them sitting around watching the stone cook. Soon, more and more villagers came out to see what was going on. And while none of them had much to spare in those difficult times, they each could manage a little something, an egg or a bit of flour or a little honey. After each person in the village added their small little ingredient, the pot eventually became full. And Marguerite was magic at combining things. She whisked the butter with the sugar, added the eggs and folded in the flour until they blended into a beautiful golden batter. Nanny Marguerite, said Mikhail, I think the pot is going to overflow. There's so much in it now. Yes, well, we wouldn't want that, said Nanny Marguerite. I know. I'll take the stone out. I think it has flavoured the cake enough now. Then we'll be able to leave the batter to bake. And that is what she did. She cooked the mixture for 45 minutes in moderate heat embers. And at the end of that time, it was done. They had made a stone cake. It was golden brown on top, fluffy and yellow inside, and had a subtle hint of lemon in the flavour. It was the most exquisitely divine cake, and it was big enough that everyone in the village got to share a slice. So the children got a delicious dinner, and all the villagers had the first dessert they'd eaten in years. Thank you so much, said one of the villagers, for sharing your stone cake. It's by far the finest cake I've ever eaten. And to think you made it with just one pot and one stone. I know, agreed Marguerite. That's the magic of cake. You only need a few ingredients, a pot, a stone, and a lot of friends. The end. Wow, that was a lovely story, said Samantha. I know, said Nanny Piggins. I like to mix things up every now and then. Just then, their oven timer pinged. Bing! It's ready, cried Nanny Piggins. She grabbed her oven mitts, ripped open the oven door and pulled out the cake. Even after a lifetime of baking fabulous cakes every day, usually several times a day, Nanny Piggins still got teary-eyed at the beautiful sight of a freshly baked cake although not so teary as to slow her down for long. In less than a minute, they were all sitting around the table eating enormous slices. Mmm, so good, said Nanny Piggins. I think I've cracked the secret to making this mug cake even better. Once you ten-tuple all the ingredients and bake it in a large cake tin in an oven, this mug cake is flawless. The end. Okay, so I just went down to my kitchen and I tested a mug cake recipe because I thought it'd be cool to share that with you so you could have a go at making mug cake at home because it's really easy. Uh, So I did. I made a mug cake and I'm going to give you the recipe now. Um, So here you go. These are the ingredients you need. And uh, if you want to see how to make it, I'm going to post a video on Instagram and Facebook, the RA Sprat Instagram and Facebook, and I'll put it on rasprat.com on my website as well. So you can see a video of me making it because sometimes it's easier if you can watch someone do something. But these are the ingredients I'm going to read out now, and then I'll explain how you actually do it. So the ingredients are uh, four tablespoons of self-raising flour, three tablespoons of sugar, one tablespoon of drinking chocolate. Uh, two tablespoons of full cream milk, one egg, as small an egg as you can get your hands on, although 
don't worry too much, and one tablespoon of oil, like canola oil or vegetable oil, something that doesn't have a strong taste. So there are all the ingredients. Oh, and a pinch of salt. So there are all the ingredients. Now, what you got to do is you got to mix it up. Now, my daughter, the you know you know her as Tammy from the Tall Tales, she's actually really really good at baking, and uh, I told her I was going to do this today, and she said to me, make sure you add the wet ingredients first, which is not the way you normally do it with cake baking. You usually do it the other way around, or you do the butter and the sugar first. But anyway, she said, make sure you add the wet ingredients first, because otherwise, if you put the flour in first, when you mix it up, you tend to get like clumps of flour don't get mixed in at the bottom, and then you get these gross floury bits at the bottom. So when I just tested that, I followed Tammy's tip, and it turns out she's 100% correct. I put the the egg and the I put the oil in first, then the egg, and a bit of the milk. I put in half the milk, and then I mixed it all through, and then I added the rest of the milk. So anyway, that was a really cool tip. So you mix them all up like that. In a mug, like about it, they're usually about 350 milliliter mug, like a standard size mug. And then you put it in the microwave and all the recipes say like 90 seconds to two minutes. So two minutes is a little bit too long. So you got to watch it, but you'll see when it's cooked, it'll rise right up out of the mug and you might even go, Oh my goodness, it's going to overflow like a volcano. And well, mine didn't. So hopefully yours doesn't go like a volcano. It will rise up and it will cook as it rises up. So it'll just cook in that sort of raised shape. Um, yeah. And if you watch the video, there's some tips on how you can decorate it to make it look palatable. But anyway, I did all that and um, I, I had a bite and it was delicious. I don't eat a lot of cake because I'm like a fitness fanatic. But then anyway, my husband came down to the kitchen. He works from home too and we're both writers. And he was like, you know, I was worried about something at work and I wanted to cheer him up. So I said, would you like a mug cake? And he's like, yeah, all right. And he just sat and ate the whole thing and it made him feel a lot better. So anyway, he vouches for the quality of this mug cake. So try it at home. And as I say, check out online if you want to see a video of me making it. All right. That's definitely it for now. So until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.